welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you got your Bibles, let me invite you to find the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13 this morning. We're going to finish our series in the book of Nehemiah. I told the first service that uh, my Bible, uh, it seems if I lay it down and I just slide it open, it automatically opens to the book of Nehemiah. It seems I've spent so much time in this uh, wonderful narrative of Nehemiah that my Bible just automatically goes there now. This is our 21st message through these 13 chapters. And I hope you have enjoyed them. I hope it has been informative to you and hopefully transformational to you. Uh, But this morning, we're continuing the series that we titled Against All Odds. You'll remember that some 5 million Jews went into Babylonian captivity. Some 50,000 after the Cyrus decree made their way back to Jerusalem. And they've gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls, and to return and to rehang the gates on the walls. You would have thought if you were an outsider that this was an absolutely impossible task. And yet under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, all of that has come to pass. And after they finished the walls, we remember the story, a great revival broke out in the land. And what prompted this revival is that scripture became a vital part of the daily lives of the people of God. You will never experience personal revival outside of the scriptures becoming a vital part of your daily life. Not only was the scriptures a vital part of their daily life, but they experienced this revival because prayer became a vital part of their daily lives. And they turned back to worship the one true God. And they even decided to make some covenants in the midst of this revival. And we'll get to those in just a minute. But in the midst of this revival, they did get together and they signed some covenants that say this, We are going to live close and clean. We are going to live in obedience to the commands of God from here on. And they committed their lives wholly to the Lord. And in the midst of this incredible revival, Nehemiah gets called away and goes back to King Artaxerxes. When we come to the beginning of chapter 13, Nehemiah has been gone, some commentators say, between 10 and 15 years. He makes his way back in the beginning of chapter 13, and what we'll read today is a continuation of what he found when he returned. Now, let's, as a reminder, let me say this. When he left, what was happening in Jerusalem? A great revival was happening. He's been gone 10 to 15 years. He comes back and he finds that they have embraced an evil way of life. They have turned their backs on the commands of God 
and they've just decided to do what they wanted to do. And when you live in a lifestyle that is in clear violation of a command of God, rest assured, you're headed for trouble. And that's where they find themselves. Now, you remember at the very beginning of chapter 13, we're told they didn't separate themselves from the Ammonites and the Moabites. They were not to intermingle with those folks, and yet they did. And then Eliashib, the high priest, created a place inside the temple for Tobiah, who was a Ammonite, to live inside the temple. Two things in clear violation of God's commands. And as we come to the last part of this narrative of Nehemiah, in the last part of chapter 13, things just keep getting worse. I told the first service, I wish there was a chapter 14 in Nehemiah where there was another great revival after they mess up in chapter 13. But things are going to get worse for the people of God. And so this morning, I want to preach on this subject, marriage matters. Marriage matters. And we're going to see that what the people of God began to do in clear violation of God's commands is they began to intermarry with pagan people. Essentially, they began to intermarry with non-believers. And that always leads to destruction. Let's stand together and read Nehemiah chapter 13, beginning in verse 23. If you're there, would you say amen? amen. In those days also, this is Nehemiah. So I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them. Wouldn't you love to have watched this? Cursed them, smote certain of them, plucked off their hair. Y'all let that sink in. Made them swear by God saying, you shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations were there no king like him who was beloved of his God. God made him king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you and do this great evil to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? One of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Hornite. Therefore, I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus, I, thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business. And for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits, remember me, O oh my God, for good. Heavenly Father, speak to us through your word this morning in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How many of you remember the show that used to come on called The Biggest Loser? 
The biggest loser. I didn't ask how many of y'all watched Kentucky play last night. I said, how many of y'all remember the show, The Biggest Loser? The first time I asked that in the first service, there was like three people that remembered it. So this time I want you to be honest before God. How many of you remember the show, The Biggest Loser? God sees that hand. Thank you. But there's a fella that was on The Biggest Loser by the name of Eric Choppin. He checked in at 407 pounds when The Biggest Loser started. For those of you that don't know this show, people that were overweight, overweight went on this show. They starved them to death basically for a certain period of time. And then after they starved them to death, then they gained their weight back. All right, you know what I'm saying? So that's what happened here. Eric Choppin weighed in at 407 Lost down to under 200 pounds. After several months of diet and exercise, he discovers that he is the winner of the show. Five days later, he's win he wins the show. Five days later, he weighs again. And since the end of the show, five days later, he has gained 32 and a half pounds. What happened? Well, he didn't starve himself anymore. It's probably one of them. But the point I'm trying to make is this. He was doing some things that caused his weight to change. And then he stopped doing those things and it had an impact. The people of God were experiencing a great revival. They were in the word. They were in prayer and they stopped doing those things. And when they stopped doing those things and being diligent and disciplined in their walk with God, they found themselves embracing things they never imagined they would embrace. When you allow a little bit of sin to creep in, you'll justify a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more because that's how sin works. And this morning, as we consider marriage matters, I want to say this. Some of you are already thinking, whew, I missed this one today because I'm already married. I'm good. Got a good marriage. Everything's good at my house. I, I'm good. But I want today to serve as a reminder that anytime you transgress a clear command of God, you are headed for trouble. And even as we preach through marriage matters this morning, it could be that God puts his finger on something inside of your heart that you know you are living in complete disobedience to the commands of God and he'll put his finger right on that this morning and I pray you'll deal with it this morning. So here we are, the people of God have found themselves now after a great revival less diligent, less disciplined, and they've embraced some ungodly practices. So let's consider marriage matters this morning. Number one, I see their corrupt decision. Their corrupt decision. Nehemiah is observing what is going on amongst the people, and he sees they have made a decision to transgress God's commands. Now, already in the first part of chapter 13, they didn't separate themselves from the Moabites and the Ammonites. They allowed Tobiah to live in the temple. And now he discovers they are marrying pagans. So first of all, there's a glaring disobedience in marriage. A glaring disobedience. It's, it's not as if 
These people who are intermarrying with pagans, it's not as if they didn't know that they were not supposed to do that. This is not news to them that they're not supposed to marry pagans. They, 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 they simply just chose to ignore the commands of God by marrying people of Ashdod, the Ammonites, and the Moabites. And God's made this prohibition very clear. And not only did God make this prohibition clear, but they too, in Nehemiah chapter 10, signed a covenant that they would not do this. Let's look at it. Look at chapter 10 and verse 29. Look at chapter 10 and verse 29. I think we have it on the screen. But it says, they clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law. Here's what they said. We're going to enter into a covenant, into an oath, and if we don't adhere to this, we pray God would discurse us. Which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe all, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes. Look at verse 30. And that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. Does anybody have any questions about what that says? It's as if Nehemiah could have stood up in front of them and said, what are you doing? Not only did God prohibit this and clearly give you a command to abstain from marrying pagans, but you signed an oath that you wouldn't do it. You signed an oath that you would live close and clean and you would not do these things. And yet here you are doing them. Wait, could you imagine the frustration of Nehemiah? They've signed, listen, we don't take our oaths very seriously anymore these days, do we? And you don't make very many of them in life. I mean, you, have, you take a marriage covenant. You, 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 you covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ to live according to him. And, and, and we just don't take those covenants anymore as seriously as we once did. And these folks have done the exact same thing. And so there's a clear prohibition. You say, wait a minute, pastor. You're in the Old Testament. No, it's in the New Testament as well. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're told, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness and unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness? The pro prohibition of marrying an unbeliever is absolutely clear in the Scriptures. And the church said, Amen. Amen. There's, God, there's glaring disobedience in marriage, but then there's God's definition of marriage. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, the Lord said this, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. There's no room for interpretation there. Now marriage is one man and one woman. And we're living in a culture now where you even have to define when you say man what you mean. And so I just want to make sure if anybody's watching via live stream, you don't get confused what I'm talking about. I'm talking about one biological man and one biological woman coming together as believers in the estate of what is called marriage. But marriage between one man and one woman, we've messed that up. Marriage between two believers, we've messed that up. And when marriages are weak, homes are weak. When homes are weak, 
The church is weak and the church suffers. Rest assured, when unbelievers marry, good never raises up evil, but evil will always drag down good. You marry an unbeliever, date an unbeliever, you'll do things you would not have normally done because bad will always pull down good. Good never pulls up bad. Now, if y'all don't start helping me this morning, I'm gonna preach till 1.30. And I, you, and I know what you're going to say. You'll be here by yourself too. Well, I might. You will never pull up evil. Evil will always pull you down. That's why God's put this in place. It's for your protection. And when you disobey, consequences. Their corrupt decision. They, they knew the prohibition, and they said, ah, it'll be all right. And there's consequences for those. Anytime you disobey a clear command of God, you are headed for trouble, and there will be consequences. Let's see what their consequences are. Their corrupt decision, the consequences of disobedience. Look at verse 24. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. Nehemiah discovers that these pagan mothers are rearing these children in their own pagan ways. And here's what began to prevail, spiritual ignorance. And the children did not speak the language of the Hebrew people. Now, let me, let me, let me say this. This has nothing to do with if a, if a man marries a woman from... Colombia, all right? If a man marries a woman from Colombia, South America, okay? And they decide to relocate their family to Colombia, South America. And they have children and their children speak Spanish and not English, okay? This is not what that's talking about. Let me tell you what this is, what this is talking about. Is these pagan folks are raising kids, one's married and one's not, and evil never pulls up Good never pulls up evil. Evil always pulls down good. Here's what they're saying. They will not learn the language of the Lord. They're learning the language of the land. And so these children that are being reared up no longer are familiar with the commands of God. These children that are being reared up are no longer in fear of the commands of God. They're no longer living a life that would be pleasing unto the Lord. They don't even know the language of the Lord. So you take a believer and an unbeliever. And let's say dad's an unbeliever and y'all got a little junior. You know who junior wants to be like, dad? He wants to be like you. Junior wants to be like daddy. And if daddy don't know the language of the Lord, guess what? There's a high likelihood junior ain't gonna know the language of the Lord either. And then you got a little married wife over here or a Christian wife over here who's... Husband has no regard for the things of God. She tries to teach him about God and he's not interested because he don't know the language anymore because he's trying to follow Papa. And that's a problem because there's consequences and it comes down on the children. Some, some of you talk to some of these single ladies who often attend church by themselves because her husbands have no, have no regard for the things of God. 
Ask them about the consequences. They'll be happy to talk to you about it. Ask some of these single men or some of these married men that come to church by themselves because their wife has no regard for the things of God. They'll tell you, there are consequences when we violate a clear command of scripture. Now, can God save them? Oh, you better believe he can. But you've been commanded, not by the pastor. You've been commanded by scripture, by the canon. Now, the culture says one thing, but the canon says something else. Here's what's amazing to me. These marriages in this day, they were arranged marriages. So the parents were in the middle of this. Can you imagine a parent saying, I know he's an unbeliever, but we're going to hook you up with him anyway. Can you imagine that? Blows my mind. And there are always consequences to a violation of God's clear commands. And you know who's paying the consequence in this scenario? The children. There's the corrupt decision. There's consequences of their disobedience. And Nehemiah is going to confront the defiant. There's the confrontation with the defiant. Now, we've been around long enough to know, and we've been in Nehemiah long enough to know that he ain't going to just let it slide. I'm telling you, man, I love this guy. I love Nehemiah. He's a great leader, and I just love him because he ain't going to let it slide. He's going to confront it head on or hair off, one of the two. Notice Nehemiah's indignation. Now listen, Nehemiah, listen to me now. Nehemiah, I don't know if I can say this in a Baptist church, but here's what I'm going to say it anyway. Nehemiah's ticked off. But he's indignant about sinfulness. And he's about to, he's about to display that he's a man's man. And we're offended by a man stepping up and acting like a man these days because we've seen the feminization of men across this culture over the last 30 years. And when a man steps up and just is a man, we are somehow offended by that. Every man in here ought to be shouting, what are you doing? (laughs) I'm gonna give you one more shot at it. You ready? When a man acts like a man, it's a godly and a good thing. Amen? Amen? There we go. And Nehemiah's just going to be a man's man, and he's going to deal with it. I'd love to watch this happen. I was talking to Stacy about this last night. I said, now, it's a different time and a different culture, so we can't run around pulling people's hair out today. I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) He'll go to jail, all right? But it's a different time. Butler says this about Nehemiah's actions here. He speaks, first of all, of the sentencing. It says he cursed them. Now, let's not get in our mind that somehow he cussed them out or something like that. What this is is a strong rebuke of their sin. And what he is saying to them is, this is serious stuff. You're playing around, and this is serious, serious stuff. You are living in a direct violation of one of God's clear commands, and you are going to find yourself in a mess. And this is serious. There's the sentencing, then there's the smiting. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean he delivered a roundhouse right to these guys, but it does mean he did have them punished. 
because there's always a price to pay. There's the sentencing and the smiting, but then there's the shaving. It says he plucked off their hair. Now, he likely didn't pull their hair out, most commentators believe, but he probably did shave their head and their face. And the purpose of removing their hair of their heads and their beards was to bring great disgrace upon them because they had violated God's command of marriage. And hair, especially the beard, was a great honor to these men. And so he took it from them. There's the sentencing and the smiting and the shaving, and then there's the swearing. This swearing was an oath that we just read, taken by the Jewish people who said, you, you can put us under a curse if we fail to obey this command and begin to intermarry with, with pagans. And, and, and Nehemiah reminds them of their sinfulness. And he says, don't do this. You shall not give your daughters unto their sons and take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. There's Nehemiah's indignation. But then there's Nehemiah's illustration. He gives them an illustration in verses 26 and 27, and he speaks of Solomon. Now, these guys would have known who Solomon was. They would have been very familiar with Solomon. He was a king that was beloved of God and blessed by God. He was God's chosen man to lead Israel after his father, David. He was a man of prestige, a man of promise. And that's what makes this illustration so powerful for the people of God. He says, listen, do y'all remember Solomon? Every one of them would have known Solomon. They would have known the scriptures. Every one of them would have known Solomon. He says, let's talk about what Solomon did. It's in chapter 11 of 1 Kings. Listen to this. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, the women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said to the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. But Solomon clave unto these in love. He went in love. Man, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Uh, you don't believe me? Read verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines. And notice what these women did to him. His wives turned away his heart. Does the scripture say Solomon was one of the wisest men ever? Wrote a lot of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Got to hanging out with pagan women because he thought what? He was in love. And they turned his heart away from the one true God. Verse four, for it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. 
Verse eight, and likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. Solomon went after lost girls, and then he went after their gods. Those women captured his heart and then they corrupted his head. They caught his eye and they began to control his mind. And Solomon found himself with hundreds of foreign women and the consequences were devastating because sin separates. It didn't just create problems inside the family of Solomon. This sin of Solomon in intermarrying caused a nation to divide. An entire nation divided. The nation of Israel became the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom because of Solomon's actions. Rest assured, when you embrace something that is clearly forbidden in God's word, you are headed for trouble. Verse 27, Nehemiah asks a question that needs no response. He says, shall, shall we hearken unto you to do all this great evil? To transgress our God and marrying women? Are, are, are we gonna just do the same thing? You're just going to continue to do the same thing that Solomon did after seeing how that turned out? You're going to do the same thing? Oh, but I'm in love. I'll be the one that changes this situation. I know I'm not supposed to marry a lost woman. I, I know I'm not supposed to marry a lost man. I, I know I shouldn't even be involved with a lost man or a lost woman, but, but I'm in love. And Nehemiah said, there should be no wavering on this whatsoever. Matter of fact, I shouldn't even have to ask you this question is what Nehemiah is saying. This shouldn't even be a topic of conversation for us. Here's Nehemiah's indignation, Nehemiah's illustration. Then we see Nehemiah's irritation. Nehemiah's had it. <laughs> He's just had it. Can you tell? I mean, he just had it. Here's what he discovers. Look with me in verse 28. And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. God, I like seeing that. Now stay with me here. Lean in and listen to me. You remember Eliashib? He's the high priest, right? Eliashib let who move into the temple? Tobiah. Now Eliashib's got a grandson. And you know who he allows his grandson to marry? Sam Ballot's daughter. Well, who was Samballot? Look back with me at Nehemiah chapter 4. And look at verse 7. Nehemiah 4 and verse 7. But it came to pass that when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth 
and conspired. All of them, that includes Sanballat, all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and hinder it. Nehemiah discovers that the high priest has now allowed his grandson to marry a guy who is an enemy of God, marry his daughter. And the priesthood has now become corrupted because they have intermarried. And Nehemiah is going to have to clean it up because when sin has had its way, it leaves a mess that requires some cleanup. There's Nehemiah's indignation, Nehemiah's illustration, and his irritation. So we've seen their corrupt decision, the consequences of their disobedience. We've seen Nehemiah's confrontation with the defiant. And then notice with me finally, the cleansing of this defilement. Verse 29 says, remember them, oh my God, because they have what? Defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus, I cleansed them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business. Nehemiah begins verse 29 with a prayer. He closes verse 31 with a prayer. And here was his prayer. Lord, remember me as I confront and cleanse the priesthood. And the answer for these folks that had clearly transgressed God's commands, the answer was to just repent. That means to have a change of mind and a change of direction. That was the answer. And today, maybe there's some sin in your life, a sin of commission, a sin of omission that God has put his finger on. And you know what it is. It may not be that you've intermarried. It may not be any of that, but it may be something that you know God's put his finger on. And today's the day to just turn from it, change your mind, change your direction, and begin again with the Lord. There's repentance, but then there's redemption. I see Nehemiah standing at these gates. Boy, he's praying for these people. He's trying to get everything cleaned up, but redemption's coming. Because through those same walls that have been built and those gates that have been hung, there's a Jewish carper from Nazareth in about 480 years is going to make his way riding on a colt through one of those gates. And we know the story that he's going to, he's going to walk through those, or he's going to go through those gates on that colt. He's going to find himself there in Jerusalem where they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And in just a few days, they're going to be crying out, crucify, crucify. They would take him into a, kangaroo courtroom and try him, find him guilty, and then take him just outside these very walls and hang him on a cruel, rugged Roman cross. Because redemption's price was to be paid.
by this Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. And Nehemiah wanted these folks to experience the turning and returning to the one true God. If you're here today and you know you're saved, but boy, you have, you have wandered far from God. Today would be the day to turn back unto this Jewish carpenter from Nazareth who gave his life for you on the cross of Calvary. Today would be the day. You see, we're talking about marriage matters. And there's another marriage celebration coming. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Jesus is coming. Je Listen to me. Read Ezekiel. I think it's chapters 36 and 37. The whole world's going to turn on Israel in the end. And when they do, Listen, I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back. So one preacher said, I'd be surprised if I get to the end of this invitation and he don't come back before I get finished talking this morning. Jesus, you better get your rapture breeches on because he's coming. At any moment, he's coming. And if I wasn't part of the bride of Christ, if I had not accepted the proposal from the bridegroom, if I've not repented of my sin and placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and became a part of the bride, today would be the day to become a part of the bride because marriage matters. For all of eternity, marriage matters. And you better know that you are a part of the bride of Christ. So let's walk through the invitation real quickly this morning. Here's the invitation. Might be some moms and dads that's got some kids. And you need to find your spot in an altar and pray this morning for your children. That your children would marry Christian spouses. That your sons would marry Christian women. And that your daughters would marry Christian men. Probably need to be some parents in an altar praying God do that this morning. Could be you're here, you're single. And when you want to be so married so bad you can't stand it, you need to find a spot on an altar and say, Lord, would you send a godly man my direction? I'm talking about one that's sold out for you, Lord. Lord, would you send a godly girl my direction? And some of you ladies, if you want to include in that prayer, would you make him a hunk too? That'd be all right. And hey, guys, I, I, I'd say if you're praying for a godly woman, I mean, nobody wants to marry somebody ugly, right? I mean. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, I didn't. could be this morning that you just simply need to find a spot in an altar say Lord I know pastor just preached about marriage matters but he also preached about living in violation of the word of God and this thing you've put your finger on in my life I want to I want to repent of it this morning and I want to change the direction that I'm going right now
And I want to begin again with you today. He's the God of a brand new start. And then finally, if you're not a part of the bride of Christ, you've never accepted the free gift of salvation. You don't know where your eternity lies. Here's what I want you to know. This church loves you, but more than that, Jesus loves you. And he desires to have relationship with you because you'll never be the person God intends for you to be in your walk with him outside of a relationship with him. You'll have no walk with him outside of a relationship with him. You'll never be the husband God's called you to be. You'll never be the wife God's called you to be until you become a part of the bride and saved by God's amazing grace. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, in just a moment, we're going to stand our feet. And if the Lord's spoken to you this morning and you, you need to be saved by God's amazing grace, you just come forward. We'll have pastors here at the front. You just put your hand in ours and say, I need to be saved. We would love to take the word of God and show you how you can be saved by God's amazing grace. Heavenly Father, we pray now that parents would lift up prayers for their children, grandparents lifting up prayers for their children and grandchildren. Lord, folks that would find a spot in an altar and say, Lord, would you send a godly man, a godly woman in my direction that, Lord, you show me who you would have me to be with in the days ahead. And Lord, if there's folks here that need to be saved, I pray this morning they'd make their way to one of us across this front, across the front of this church. And Lord, just admit their need for Jesus. Lord, I pray that the words would come true when they were said, whatsoever he says unto you, do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.